Thank you, Robert, for being such a good sport about the hair and all. Oh, yeah. Yeah. $25,000 came in for Fuel the Future. Yeah. <laughs> and that was a lot of fun. I don't know when I had more fun at church. It was great fun. I had lots of fun yesterday. I just sat in the middle of the men's course. I sang with Franklin Avenue Baptist Church men's course yesterday. Uh, they put me in the choir when I arrived. And the men's course was singing for the funeral of Viola Brooks, his mother. And so I was just there in the middle of it. And it was wonderful. <laughs> it was wonderful. I'll fly away, they sang. When I die. When I die, when I die, when I die, built that up for five minutes and then, hallelujah, by and by, I'll fly away. We have a great hope. Whatever our trouble now, whatever disturbs your soul, whatever afflictions come your way, it is not worthy to be compared with the hope laid up for you in Christ Jesus. Latch on to it, believe it. Hold it tight and close every day that you live. In 1 John chapter 2, there's a concluding text, verses 28 and 29. Love first. That's the theme of our summer. Love first from 1 John. A letter of love. Love most frequently mentioned in this epistle. This letter from the beloved apostle. And now, verse 28. Dear children... Continue in him so that when he appears, we may be confident and unashamed before him at his parousia, his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who does what is right has been born of him how great is the love. How great is the love. How great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Dear friends, now we are the children of God. And what we will be has not yet been revealed. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is. Everyone who has this hope 
in him purifies himself just as he is pure. Everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. But you know that he appeared so that he might take away our sins. And in him is no sin. No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. Dear children, do not let anyone lead you astray. He who does what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous. He who does what is sinful is of the devil, because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. No one who is born of God will continue to sin because God's seed remains in him. He cannot go on sinning because he has been born of God. This is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not do what is right is not a child of God, nor is anyone who does not love his brother and so the apostle describes to us the Christian life what it means to live for Christ in the here and now and he says we are to be confident and unashamed I like that don't you Confident and unashamed. Not just before men, confident and unashamed. But even before God, confident and unashamed. Confident, free, and fearless. Unashamed without reproach you know what the shame feels like when you're dealing with guilt and sin the scripture says here continue in him so that you may be confident and unashamed when he comes before him at his coming. God's preparing you for a wonderful meeting. When you come face to face with the Lord Jesus, either when he comes to wrap it all up, which is what he's going to do one day, or when you die and go into the next life, to stand before him confident and unashamed is what the apostle says we need to be aiming toward. We don't want to be filled with shame. We don't want to be slinking toward the throne, hanging our head, worried about what's going to happen, fearful about the judgment, all those things Jesus Christ died on the cross to deliver you from. 
so that when you face the Father, when you see the Lord Jesus, you are confident and unashamed. Lord, let it be in every person in this room. How? By staying anchored in him. You remember how we talked last week about staying in him, abiding in him, remaining in him, continuing in him? So many trajectories your life could take. So many rabbits you could chase. So many things you could get interested in and give your life and energy to. So many different goals you could set for your life. You could get sidetracked, and some people were in the church of Jesus Christ even back then. By taking something else and supplanting the lordship of Jesus Christ, which is to be the center and heart and goal of every believer and follower of Jesus. Supplanting it, replacing it with something else. You saw last week, if we remain in him, we bear much fruit. Apart from him, you can do nothing. If you want to stand confident and unashamed, not just before men. Men will accuse you. People will accuse you. You start following Jesus and seeking to be his instrument in the world. And people are going to look at you and, who do you think you are? I knew you back when. I knew you then. Who do you think you are? And we can stand confident and unashamed before our friends of the past, before family members who know us inside out, because we have been forgiven. We received the forgiveness of the Lord Jesus who came to what? Take away our sins. And not only that, we can stand confident and unashamed before the spotless, perfect, sinless Lamb of God. as we continue in him. So we are to be confident, unashamed, and lavished with his love. Gail Rogers writes, life had taken a few turns. Unexpected losses had quietly stacked up until she felt that her God must be on vacation somewhere else. Others seemed to be receiving blessings from God, but she felt shortchanged these days. She began to feel that she had moved from under God's wing to under God's thumb. And quite subtly, her view of God began to change. She hardly noticed it was happening. And her Bible sat more often on the shelf. Then she heard a verse from the Bible on a random snatch of a radio program while she was driving. God wanted her. He wanted her attention. And the verse hit home in her heart. How great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. The word lavished caught her imagination. Suddenly she realized that she had begun to doubt God's love and his goodness toward 
her. Somebody catch it. Let it capture you again. Did you know in the Bible that the love of God is described as lavish on you? That God has lavished his on, on you? This is the love. This is the love. The Father is lavished on you, poured out on you in abundance, running over. God loves you lavishly. Just enjoy it for a moment, okay? The world doesn't know you. Sometimes you think, my friends don't really know me. My parents don't know who I've become. Those people at work, they really don't know me. Sometimes we try to express our faith and people think we're weird. We're peculiar. They don't really know us. But the Father has lavished his love on you even though he knows you fully, completely, front to back, top to bottom, beginning to end. Nothing is hidden from his view. This one who loves you lavishly and pours out his love like a waterfall from heaven coming down on your life and he knows you. Sometimes the accuser whispers, how could God love you? Look at the mess you are. John the Apostle writes to people who struggle with that self-understanding, their self-identity in Christ. And he says, no, the world doesn't know you, but God knows you. And you are his child. Now we are the children of God. Not later on, but now we are the children of God. It needs to be our theme, our song, burning into our heart. I'm a child of God today. In every way, I'm his child. I'm the recipient of his love. His love covers me everywhere I go. Even though he knows me better than all my accusers, whether they're relatives or strangers, God knows me fully and completely, and he loves me lavishly still. It's the truth that picks you up. It gives you hope. It fires your engines. It inspires you. The love of God, this is true about you. When you hear this and the preacher says it, you start thinking, I guess God does love those people next to me and the other folks in the pew and those folks behind me and the deacons and the Sunday school teachers. God loves them lavishly. Now I'm talking about you, sister. I'm talking about you, brother. Young man, I'm talking about you. God lavishes his love on you. Poured out on you. It's got to be personal for it to be real. If it's for other people, it's just in theory. And you don't want theory here. You don't want to say, theoretically, my wife loves me. <laughs> oh yeah, she's a very loving person. 
That doesn't work, does it? Love's got to be personal to be real. God loves you. Now here's the catch. All right? The essence of the love of this epistle is what God does toward you. How God loves you is the definition of love. And he wants from you that you would follow in his footsteps and seek to love lavishly as he has loved you. So who have you loved lavishly? Who would say, I just feel lavished by his love? She loves me so completely and fully. Say, is there anybody on the planet that would talk about the abundant, overflowing love that you have for them? Have we followed the Savior in loving lavishly? Would this be a weak goal for your life, young person? I don't know what you want to do with your life. You've got the whole thing in front of you. You're looking out over the span of years, making your plans. How about, God, that I might love the way you've loved me. That I would be known as a person that loved like that. What kind of goal would that be for your life? So that your children say, they love me lavishly. And your spouse, she loves me lavishly. And your neighbors. It's an amazing thing when you love somebody. I called somebody aside this week. who is really, really struggling. And part of her struggle is financial. A single mom who's hurting. And we did a simple thing for her. Some of us, we got together, and you actually helped too, through the budget of your church. And I took her an envelope. I want to talk to you for a minute. And I pulled out this envelope. And she started to cry. And she said, You're not going to believe this. You're not going to believe this, she said. But last night, I told God I didn't know how I could do this. And part of my speech to her was 
This is God's money. And it was the answer to her immediate need that she cried out to God for the night before. You will have such miracles to recite, such stories to tell. They will astonish people when they hear. If you will love lavishly, if you will let the love of God pour out through you, if you'll become a conduit of his love, if you will make it the goal and passion of your life to love others as Christ has loved you, to let this love be poured out through you, it will It will make your life a wild adventure so full of magnificent things because it is the essence of love. To meet the need and to reach out to the hurting and care for the dying and it fills your life with wonderful moments of divine clarity I was standing in this little hallway and realized again so powerfully that God had orchestrated the whole thing it was God at work in that moment to meet that need lavished in love Purified in hope. Everybody who has this hope in him purifies himself. Now you caught it, didn't you? When I read through this. How concerned the apostle John is for the behavior of the followers of Jesus and the people in the church. You had to catch it. Didn't you hear it? You know, if you continue to sin, you're not his. No one who is his continues to sin. Somebody must have thought when I read that, oh no, I can't be his. I'm not perfect. I'll bet you did. Maybe even a sin that you committed this morning or last night popped up in your mind and you thought, well, I I can't be his because it says right here, nobody who continues to sin belongs to him. And the continuing to sin is a lifestyle away from God. John has already acknowledged in chapter 1, verse 8, if anybody in this room says, I have no sin, you're a liar. And it's in the present tense. If anybody in this room says, I have no sin, he's a liar. God's truth is not in him. So it's not like the apostle is saying, only perfect people follow Jesus. It's not like we have reached moral perfection. What he is saying is our confession of faith in Christ changes our behavior. Behavior and confession are hardwired together. They go together. And when you have this hope of seeing Jesus one day and standing in confidence, unashamed before him, it purifies your life right now. It's like the fire that purifies. You don't want to make him ashamed. You don't want to be that bride who drug her beautiful dress through the mud. You don't want to show up at the wedding 
with a stained garment. You just don't want to. You want to keep your life pure. And it breaks your heart, the sin that you commit. And you confess it to the Lord. And you're upset with yourself when it happens. You're convicted about it. You can't ever get away with it. Maybe you've noticed that about your life after Jesus. In contrast to your life before Jesus. Before Jesus, you didn't have to worry about it. After Jesus, you can't get away with it. The Holy Spirit beats you up. The sin in me, man, how can I be saved? I feel so bad about it. That's the Holy Spirit. Proof that you are saved. Proof that God is at work in your life, convicting you of your sin, drawing you to himself. He won't let you get away with it. This hope purifies us. Anybody who has this hope. We are purified in hope. Look, brothers and sisters, this battle's never done, all right? The devil's going to keep giving you invitations back into the world, the world you left, the life you left. Sometimes you get so confused, you wonder what you ought to do next, and just like Peter, you say, I'm going fishing. Why is Peter going fishing? Jesus died on the cross. He rose from the dead. Peter's going fishing. What's wrong with a man? It's the only thing he knows to do. It's the only person he knows to be. What's weighing on his heart? He denied the Savior. That's what he did three times. And he's decided somehow inside of himself he just can't be that person. Maybe like you decided one time. I just can't be that person. So who am I going to be? Well, the only person I know to be is the person I used to be. So I'm going back. That's why Jesus catches him at the fire by the sea. Jesus builds a fire himself in his resurrected, glorified body. What's he doing? He's scrambling along the seashore, gathering up driftwood, starting himself a fire, fixing fish and bread. He wants to capture Peter, who has sinned and failed and fallen. And he feels so bad about it, he's going back to fishing. He can't do this thing that Jesus called him to. But Jesus catches him at the campfire. Puts his hand under his chin, lifts up his face and says, Peter, do you love me? Okay, you, just about to give up on yourself and on God. Jesus got his hand under your chin this morning. He wants to make eye contact with you. He wants you to look at him. And he wants to look you in the eye. And he's got a question for you about to throw in the towel take some other direction, go some other way. He's got a question for you. Do you love me? He says. Well, do you? Do you love him? Yes, Lord. Jesus asked three times for each one of the denials. 
Peter says, I love you. And after sin has beat you up and you feel rolled in the mud and you can't seem to raise your head, you look Jesus in the face. Know that he came to take away your sin, your sin. And tell him again, I love you. It calls us back. This love that he pours out toward us, the love that we respond with, it calls us back to following him. And the verse ends with this powerful statement. Anyone who does not do what is right is not a child of God, nor is anyone who does not love his brother. It ties together doing right Loving brother. What are we doing in the world? We are confident and unashamed. We are lavished with his love. We are doing right, loving brother. You got two forces in you that are mentioned here that are working against you following Jesus and being faithful to him. The first is the lawlessness inside of you. Everybody wants to be a law unto themselves. They want to make their own rules. We don't want to conform ourselves to the image of Christ. Sometimes we think that surrendering to Christ is losing our own identity. When what God is calling you to is a complete surrender to him that maximizes who you are. He made you. He designed you. You are unique, not just your fingerprint, but everything about you. And if you love him passionately and love him fully and follow him faithfully, you'll be more you than you'll ever be any other way. And the tempter will steal the essence of the beautiful thing God created you to be. If you let him, he's after you. He wants to bring you down. John talks about the devil here. And how he is the originator of sin. And if you will surrender to the Christ who loves you, he will maximize your life for his glory, how he created you to be. You say, well, what is doing right? Sometimes I don't know the right thing to do. Sometimes it's hard to know what's right to do. I agree with that. Everybody in the room would say, yes, sometimes it is hard to know the right thing to do. Here's the rule. Doing right is the same thing as loving brother. You know, you do right, that means you're in right standing with God. You love your brother, that's where God stands with you. So it is the standard of love God calls us to. And when you're in that complex situation and you're trying to sort it out and you don't know for sure what you ought to do, make sure you do this. Act in love. Not in anger. Not in fear. Not in confusion. Act in love. It's more important how you do this thing, how you enter this decision, how you carry out this process, perhaps even then what you do. It's how you do. 
Maybe you're not sure what the loving thing to do is, but if you will live and walk in love in the moment of the difficult moral dilemma, God will bless the love. He will permeate your environment with the love. It is contagious, this lavish love, unleashed through you in the crisis moment. And God specializes in taking the difficult situation where you express love, where you seek to walk in love, not anger, not fear, but love, and turning it out for his glory. Oh, how great is the Father's love for you. There is a father's story in the newspaper this morning. The man who tells it is a member of our church. John By, are you here? Thirty years ago tomorrow, John and Deborah were in their home when flight 759 took off from the airport because of wind shear shortly after it was airbound it came into that subdivision at 3 o'clock tomorrow there will be a memorial service for the 154 people who died here in 1982 and one of them was a six-year-old named Lisa John By's little girl who every day when he came home from work would run to the door and announce to the home daddy's home daddy's home 90% of her body was covered by burns when they took her to the hospital and her heart gave out that night. John By told the reporter, I don't fear death. I know when I close my eyes on this side of eternity, when I open them, I'll be in the presence of my Lord and Savior. And I believe the first thing I'll hear when I open my eyes there is daddy's home sometimes you feel so alone in the world you wonder if there's a father who really cares for you John the Apostle knows that kind of despair. And he writes to say, God loves you. The Father has a lavish love for you. And the truth of this whole universe is daddy's home the father's love poured out toward you 
You cannot be separated from it. And for every daddy here that loves his little girl, he only learned to do so through the love of the Father who made him and designed him for himself. What an amazing thing it is to learn in your little place your part of the world that the Father who made it all loves you. Let's bow together. Somebody here just needs to get in the Father's arms today. The biggest need of your life is to be held close by the Father who loves you and to hold Him close. And He's ready for that. Somebody here beaten down by sin, you bought the lie that you're not good enough and you can't do this. And the Father wants to say to you, I love you still. Do you love me? Somebody here has wandered away and the hope you hold in your heart is calling you back. And that hope will purify your life so that you may stand before him with confidence, unashamed. Somebody here needs to know Jesus for the first time ever. Lord, thank you for your presence here. Father God, thank you for loving us so lavishly. Thank you for being here when two or three are gathered right in our midst. Call us back to yourself now. To that young woman, Lord, send your love. That man who's gotten so hard inside, Lord, send your message of love. Help us receive it and believe it. Stand in it, this love which you send toward us. Lord, I pray that we will know it personally, individually. The Father's lavish love for us, God, by your Holy Spirit, make it known, make it manifest. Speak it to the lonely heart, the bitter heart, the angry heart. The truth and transformation of your love. So here we are, God. Help us to do what you call us to do, to speak our love back to you. Lord, help us in this moment to respond to your spirit, whatever that means for everybody in the room. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.